Luke 7 is where I would like us to move into. Here is uh, an example of an interaction that occurs that has a tremendous amount of relevance for the subject that we've been looking at. It says this, verse 36, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. As they asked one of the Pharisees, we know his name later on in the passage, we're told his name, his name is Simon, Simon the Pharisee, as he's often called. Simon had asked Jesus to come and eat with him, and Jesus, that's he, he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. Now that, that was, you know, we ta- we've been talking about, especially the times that I've been sharing this summer, about the different uh, challenges that were around Jesus and the Pharisees and their interactions. Again, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what a Pharisee was. A Pharisee was one of the significant religious parties of Jesus' day. It was both a religious and a political party in Jesus' day. And uh, they were strong adherents to the law or to the scriptures of the Older Testament, the Torah. And they felt in many ways like they were guardians. And they were very diligent and very committed. And we often find that Jesus interacts with them. Some of them are revealed as being extremely hypocritical, rule-based. Others, like Nicodemus, who came to Jesus secretly in the night in John 3, are revealed as being more honest and searching and interested. Clearly, one of the things that comes out in the Gospels is beyond the tension that existed between Jesus and the Pharisees, that there was also a degree of intrigue as well. They didn't really understand Jesus. He was very committed to uh, the Scriptures. There was a, he, so in that way, he was unquestioned. He was a morally uh, clear man. And yet, at the same time, there was this, this unconventional aspect of who Jesus was that so contrasted with what they regarded as appropriate social exchange that it created a tension. And they had a hard time hearing Jesus because Jesus did things that a religious leader of their day didn't normally do. And in fact, if you, if you were to look two verses earlier, it's not in the handout, but in the Bible, you would, you would see in verse 34, and I'll just, we're just going to put this up, that what Jesus, he kind of refers to how they were thinking about him. He says, the Son of Man has come, you know, eating and drinking. That, that is, he's come fully engaged with people. And in, in, the interpret, in their eyes, they were saying that he, that he was, uh, they called him what, a, a, a glutton and a wine-bibber. Uh, you're a drunkard and an indulger. And, 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 and they said, and, you, and, and even worse than that, you are a friend, uh, they called him a friend of what? Task collectors, sinners, and sinners, you know, publicans and sinners. I mean, this whole idea, and, and by the way, when they said that, it was not meant as a compliment. It, it was, it was the, 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 the point of what they said was, you, you are a, a teacher of question. And we, do, we suspect, this is about all they could say, we suspect your, your laxity in terms of your, your restraint, both in terms of what you allow yourself to engage in and certainly with the people you are around. Now, what they didn't say was that he was doing immoral things. That was about what, as far as they could go. It's the people you're with and the way in which you engage with them. Now, that is going to serve as a beautiful backdrop to what we're going to look at here. Because Jesus gets invited to the house of this man, Simon the Pharisee. And we're told that there is something else that occurs. And he sits down to eat. Now, when we talk about sitting down to eat, a lot of times we might think, oh, well, you know, it's like they all had a nice, big, long table. And uh, they all had chairs. And everybody was at their spot. But the reality was it was probably done more in the 
in the Eastern method of, of eating, in which they would have been a large, almost semicircle, in some cases a circle, uh, of, of, of very large pillows and cushions, uh, couches they were sometimes called, where, where you, one would recline on. And so it would, not, it would have not been uncommon then to come in, and again, just to, I'll, 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 I'll do this real quick. You would be, you see what I'm saying? Right here, right here. It's like, you dip it in, you eat it. Now, you're a little elevated, so, but the idea, you get the idea, and your feet are behind. This is a big deal because what's going to happen is going to be connected to this because we're told that something does occur. It says, behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, Whenever those two things were put together, it usually meant one thing. That, that, that phrase, a woman in the city who was a sinner, meant that this was a woman of, of ill repute who was most likely a, a harlot or a prostitute. All right? That was their way of describing the immoral woman in the town. And, and, and so it was, it, it's important to understand that because it adds, it adds so much to what we're going to see happening here. It says here that, that, behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus was sitting at the table, that Jesus was going there for dinner and was there um, in the Pharisee's house, that she made a decision. And she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at... Now, and look what we're told. And she stood at his feet. She has this, this flask that has this costly oil and perfume in it. And she's, she's at, the, at the feet of Jesus. So again... She's not in front of him, per se. She's, if, he's, if he's back like that, then she's behind him. And they're all talking and interacting and sharing. The disciples are there. Simon's there. And then all of a sudden, you can, you can see in your mind's eye, just kind of get the picture. All of a sudden, this, this woman who, who comes in probably out of the shadows, secretly, stealthily, finds her way in, um, you know, in a, in a very furtive way. She, she gets as... as, as you know, unnoticed as possible, but all of a sudden every, the room starts to quiet because we're told that she starts to do, so she starts weeping. And so you've got the picture of Jesus reclining. There are others around him. They've been talking. All of a sudden the room goes silent because it's clear there's this woman who's behind him, and she's just weeping profusely. Her hair is hanging down. Her head is bowed. And then as she's doing it, we're told that she gets down on, on, on her feet and off of her feet onto her knees, and she starts to, and I'm just going to read it because it's so uh, beautifully stated. It says here that now um, she, she stood at her feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and she's crying and, and weeping, and the, 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 the tears are dropping on his feet, and she's wiping them with the hair of her head, which is no doubt hanging down, and, and she's just kissing him and blessing him and anointing. She takes out the bottle of, uh, that she has and the oil and she, she pours out and is mixing in with all of it. It's just this, this moment. Everybody's just, just looking at it. And, and, and I bet you even the disciples are going, oh, what's Jesus going to do? And, and, and Simon is there and he's already made his assessment. Because remember, he came in, he was going to check Jesus out um, and he's watching what's going on, and he's going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Look what, look what he says. He says, this man. Now, he doesn't say it. He doesn't go, if you were a prophet. No, he doesn't say that. Inside, though, he says to himself, this man, if he, if he were truly a prophet, if he was one sent by God, he 
would not, he would not allow such a woman to do this to him, to touch him in this way. This is inappropriate. This is wrong. Now, again, embedded in the, the scriptures are tremendous warnings, and it was common. You understand, we, we think of it like, oh, you know, she's, you know, what does he say? He says he would not allow such a one to touch him like that. Look at that. It's, it's, it's pretty clear. He's, he, he, he's, he's sort of offended, touching him for she is a sinner. And this idea, does he know what kind of a person? Now, it's, it, was, it was already a conventional uh, leap to just even have an interaction with a woman if you were a religious teacher like that in, in this way. But then that kind of a woman, it was, it was <laughs> Simon was offended and, and concerned and angry. And in his own way, he was judging Jesus. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, while Simon is thinking this in his mind, Jesus is already anticipating, he's reading him. So there's, Jesus is what, fascinating. Both, he's watching what's happening with this woman and he's simultaneously reading Simon. And he says to Simon, this Simon, he says, uh, he answered him. No, he answered him. We didn't ask him a question. But he, what he answered was what he was saying inside. And Jesus said this, Simon, um, I, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, well, go ahead, uh, teacher. Speak, speak the question. Well, if I may say this. Can I tell you a story? And whenever Jesus says, basically, can I tell you a story, you're in, you're in trouble, all right? Because <laughs> um, he's about to take you somewhere. And it's called the place where your heart gets exposed. And that's probably a good thing sometimes. But he says, listen, there was, a, there was a certain creditor. And he had two people who owed him a lot of money, two debtors. And he says one of them owed him 500 denarii. We, let's just say 500 pieces of silver. Pretty extensive sum of money. Very extensive in their day. And the other one owed him also a little bit. You know, he owed him 50. It was a big, a big amount as well, but not nothing. Could be 10 times less. One's 10 times more than the other. 550. And, and Jesus said this. And when they had nothing with which to repay, they had run out of money. They had maxed out the, the credit card, all right? There was nothing left. By the way, in their day, you didn't have an option of bankruptcy. There was no way to declare or to walk away. You, if you couldn't pay your debts, you ran the risk of having your entire family sold off into servitude. And you would be dispossessed of your possession. It was a big deal. And if someone was exacting, they could, they could require it. It was an issue of, of even more. It is a big deal today. But it was even bigger then. And they all knew it. So when Jesus makes the statement, he's, he's connecting in a, in a way that they all get. Very, he, he says this, but when they had nothing with which to repay, this, this creditor, he, he freely forgave them both. Basically said, I'm releasing you of your debt obligation. And then Jesus says, so I want you to tell me, therefore, in light of that, this is the question I have for you. Which of them... Do you think, which of the two that have been forgiven of their debt would, would you think loves more or more intensely? And Simon answers him and he says, you know, I, well, I, I would, you know, I've, it, I, would, I would think that the one who was forgiven the, the far more vast amount would probably have the greater sense of, of uh, appreciation for what was done. 
And Jesus says, absolutely, you're right. That's exactly what I would say as well. And then he said this, and then he turned to the woman, and he says, now, 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 and he turned to the woman, but he talks to Simon. Simon, so I'm assuming that he's talking. He says, listen, he says, do you see this woman? Do you see her? I entered your house. You didn't give me any water um, for my feet. They, <laughs> I was supposed to be your guest. You didn't treat me like one. Can you point that out? All right. <laughs> but she has washed my feet with her tears. And she's wiped them. She didn't have a towel. She used her hair. And you gave me no kiss, no customary kiss, kiss of welcome. Welcome. Peace of God upon you. But this woman, since the time she has come in, has not ceased to kiss my, my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, which was also customary as a blessing, a, a fragrance. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. So, so I want to say to you, therefore I say to you, her sins which are many uh, are forgiven, for she has loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, listen, your sins are forgiven. Now, and, and, then, and then those who were also at the table at the time were uh, saying to themselves, who is this man who, who assumes that he can forgive sins? But Jesus turned to her, the woman, and said, listen, your faith. Look, I, I imagine Jesus saying, your faith. Your faith has saved you, and you go in peace. You go in peace. You go with the blessing of God on your life. Now, clearly, she had heard this about Jesus because there was, part of her, when her, there was a part of her that was clearly responding to what she had heard. Jesus had talked, Jesus had talked about how nobody was beyond the concern of God. That's why in his blesseds, he talks about the blessed of being poor and the blessed of being sometimes even oppressed. He, he, was, uh, he was saying this is good news for everybody, but especially for the disenfranchised. And he went on to say that sinners can come home. Now, there was, you understand, the prevailing perception of the day was once you started down a path in life and you made a bunch of mistakes... It was like you were in that groove for the rest of your life. And there are still cultures today where you're born into something, you don't get out. It's one of the beautiful things about, about this country is it provides the possibility of, of change. But there are still places in the world where what you're born into is what you are. And there was an element of that in Jesus' day. Certainly by the time from at a moral level, once one had established an identity, you didn't get out of the identity and if you became an outside, a bad person, out, you were outside. You were on the outside. And then there were the good people on the inside. And you weren't one of them. And so Jesus comes along and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does at hand mean? Right here. Near. Right there. It is not far. It's right here. Upon you. And the news is this, that God has come. And he has come in his son, as it were, to change this world forever and to create a new possibility. And this is good news for whosoever will. All those who are on the outside, you can come and share at this table. Rich, poor, great, small. The ones who ha are in and good and the ones who are out and bad. There is room at the table. Come now and make a change. It's good news. God has arrived. I mean, that was the message. It was great. And she heard it. 
And then there's room for me to make a change, to move. And that's the essence of what's going on here. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Now, when I was looking at this, I was going, wow, Lord, there's, there's so much here. I go back to verse 38, if you can, real quick. And, you know, you look at that and you go, that fragrant oil, that costly perfume, it cannot, when she does the uh, pouring out of it and, 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 and anoints him with that on his feet, um, it can not only be viewed, as Jesus referred to it here, as a statement of hospitality. So in many ways, it was an expression of hospitality. She was, she was, she was honoring him. It was. It was honoring him. But it also can be viewed in some other way. Because you see, how can I say it? A woman with her, in her line of work, that was a part of her line of work. And it was a costly fragrance that would have been used for other purposes. And when she comes to Jesus, it's not just anointing his feet for the purpose of hospitality. It's also her almost saying, I am pouring out what I was at your feet. If it's, if it's so. And that's one of the reasons why when Jesus responds, he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. He's interpreting that as, think, think about, does she ever say a word? She never says, please forgive me. Now, now, but she said it more eloquently than anybody could have ever said it. Everything about what she was doing was, Lord, I'm broken. I, I've gotten, I, I received this message for my life. If it's possible, I, 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 I want it. I, I, I honor you for it. And woman, your sins are forgiven of you. Your faith is, has been received. You go in the peace and the goodness of God. It doesn't matter what, every, this is what I am saying to you. It's powerful. It's, it's beautiful. And you look at it, you go, wow, I mean, she's in now. But again, from Simon's perspective, he's going, it's scandalous. Doesn't he understand what kind of woman this is? What she's doing, what that, it's, it's like, it, it, was, it didn't look good. And yet Jesus saw it as a supreme gesture of humility and genuine, honest expression of a desire to break with her past. It was, it was an expression of adoration. It was a statement about wanting to break and start, start anew. And it was profoundly beautiful. And the incident, really, you do see two lost people, not just one, two. And one, one of the two lost people is very curious. He invites Jesus over, but he keeps him at a distance. He's not even sure if, how much of a gesture he wants to make, lest it be interpreted as somehow approving of Jesus. Jesus will prove himself to him, and then he will decide. The other one, no. The other one comes completely open, totally at a point of saying, I, 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 I want something from you. One comes in curious, as, as it were, and is somewhat, you know, just left untouched. When the dust settles, it's the one who comes broken just broken and poured out like the, like the jar that she emptied out on his feet, which, by the way, I would suggest is the way that all of us will ultimately need to come into the kingdom, broken and poured out at his feet. We come bowed down if we come in. No pride. Simon has a lot of pride. That's the last thing he's going to do. And, so, and Jesus says, look, there's two lost people here. One is curious. One is now cured. Which one are we going to be? But let me take this a little bit further. Let me take, in the minutes that we have left, this, this essential teaching, and let's apply it to our, our theme, our summer quest to, to talk about how to represent Jesus' heart. Those of us who would claim to be his followers and, and who love him and want to represent him, 
what, what does this have to teach us? And let me just put a couple of things up, and we'll sit with them, hopefully talk about them. Some of you might be taking notes. Some of you might be putting it into the, the phone or the BlackBerry, which is, by the way, totally okay. Just keep it on silent. I, that's the way it is today. Some of us will be doing notes that way. I'm fine with that. In fact, I love, I love the fact that people interact with something. This is a quick little detour. When you write something down or note it, it, it embeds it that much more inside of us. There is power in doing that, and there's a value in doing it. And if God speaks something to your heart as you're listening, find a way to log it. Reflect on it. Engage it. Listen as responsibly as possible to the voice of the Lord. Okay, let me put this up there, though. As followers of Jesus, we're going to need to love people, number one, where they are, and we need to be by staying open to sincere expressions. And I, I look at this and I go, wow, you know, uh, inevitably, there are going to be people who cross our paths, the paths of our lives. They may be coworkers, maybe associates, maybe people who are our neighbors, maybe friends, people we're engaged with at a social level that we know somewhat well. It might have to do with a conversation that we have, a conversation that occurs, say, standing at a bus station or at the BART station or, or when we're just walking by or waiting in line to get into a restaurant. I don't know where these conversations take place. But when they do, inevitably, we will be presented with things in situations where we get to decide, you know, um, how are we how are we going to deal with with that the, the stuff that, that's coming out? I mean, are, are we going to be able to love the, the people that we're talking to where they are? Are we going to be able to follow in the footsteps of the master, and if I can put it this way, and not communicate rejection, even though something may come up that. We may want to we may want to qualify that and, and address it now. That, that, but it's sincere, and that's the thing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of sit with that for a moment. What's interesting for me is that Jesus accepted this gift um, from the woman, and he didn't he didn't <laughs> he didn't reject it. That's what Simon was saying. I, I can't, he but he and you know what else he did? He let her again. I mentioned it, he let her touch him, and then that was the in verse 39. Simon's thing is. He would not let a woman like that touch him. Can you imagine if, if, if Jesus was when he was there? You know, it seems that it, in a way that part of her healing process, that really for her, this was something that she was doing as a way of being, get, getting better, that part of her healing process was Jesus, letting, Jesus allowing her to, to, to do this expression even though it was a little bit embarrassing and socially awkward. But Jesus saw her heart, and instead of going, and can you imagine if he all of a sudden says, what are you doing? Get away from me. You, a woman like you doesn't touch, touch my foot without my permission. You, you, get away from me. Now, first off, we would go, well, Jesus would never do that. <laughs> and that's true. But can you imagine if he did? And that's the point. Is the point is that he didn't. He didn't do that. He he, he, he loved her where she was, and he was willing to love her beyond the awkwardness of that moment. And it was something that, it's, it's just like, you know, he had to have a complete sense of himself and who he was and the authenticity of his own heart. The Bible says that in Jesus there was no guile, that there was no falseness to him. He, there was no trickery, no subterfuge, no 
faint one way and go the other way. It, it, there, I mean, it doesn't mean that he wasn't skilled at rhetoric and capable of engaging argument and speaking, but, for the, but his character, his essential person, was an expression of deep unity. As a result, when he talked, people always respected him. Even his enemies knew that, that when he spoke, he spoke as one, and they said it, as one who has authority, not just claiming to be, but there was something powerful about his life. We often talk about how the words of Christ had enormous power because there was no gap between what he said and how he lived. It was completely unified. So when he speaks, you, it is the sp speech of someone who is completely aligned, and it had power. And so you look at this and you go, wow, you know, Jesus sets the example for us. He, he could be in a situation like this that was a bit awkward and his heart, I mean, he was, there, was no, there was nothing in Jesus that was going to go do something immoral. There was nothing in him that had to self-doubt. Now, here's the thing. You and I are not Jesus. <laughs> you say, well, yes, of course. Uh, we all know that. No, what I mean is every one of us has to suspect our own heart at times. We do have the ability to engage in guile. We do have the ability to have mixed motives. We do have the ability to, to mix the good and the bad, the spiritual and the less so. And so, and some of us, when situations arise, we need to be very careful. I need, and I need to say this. There are some of us that we get into a situation that it would be, more, it would be better for us to gracefully pull out of that because where it's going might not be helpful for us. Just because something the Bible says is expedient or it's possible, or it doesn't mean it's appropriate. And, and so there are situations where, for some of us, for example, we might have to make a decision that, if, especially if we start to think, you know what, if I, uh, there, if I engage this situation, it, it could get me into another situation that's really gonna damage uh, my own life, my own life with God, uh, I don't think I'm strong enough to handle this, so I need to back off from that because it could pull me back under. You see what I'm saying? Have, so we have to always hold that as a real possibility. I, ho I hope you understand what I'm saying, that we need to exercise a degree of wisdom in the way in which we engage things. Again, because Jesus, he is so completely aligned in his heart is so aligned with the Father that he doesn't have to, that is not his concern. But you and I have to exercise a degree of discretion in the way in which we interact, lest in our desire to do good and accommodate, we actually get drawn into stuff that we're not strong enough to take, to get better out of. You see what I'm saying? We can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Having said that, I still think it's important that when certain situations arise, we don't feel compelled to correct it just because it's not coming out right or we feel a little bit out of our comfort zone. There are times where we really just need to sit in the discomfort of what's happening and not feel compelled to clear it so quickly and to tighten it all up, but just to let that person share their expression um, as an honest, sincere expression and not judge it, but simply wait for the moment to share properly and have enough of a sense of timing with God and graciousness that we don't feel compelled to say, you know what, you, 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 you can't be doing that here. You know, I don't want, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't go there. So there's this balance point. Secondly, though, stay with me on this, okay? Because this is equally important. Uh, not only is it going to be, there are going to be times we need to love people where they are, but I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to suggest that this passage teaches us that we are not to assume that just because someone is spiritual or a good person, a religious person, a spiritual person, that they don't need Jesus. 
Uh, the temptation here will always be to see the woman, the prostitute, the sinner, as the lost and the hurting one in need of the forgiveness and the healing, right? She, and by the way, she was, to use the language of the parable, the one who owed 500. She was. She was the one who owed 500 pieces of silver. She was the one who loved much and was forgiven much. But part of the brilliance of Jesus was that while, was when he tells this story, he says, but this is not just a story about one debtor. This is a story about two. And while it's true that one had owed less than the other, and one was in that sense less of a debtor, only owing 50 in Jesus' analogy, the good one was still a debtor in need of forgiveness. You see the point? Jesus is really hitting this. He's, and what he's basically saying is good, we're saying is good people need the Lord. He's not, oh, well, yeah, the bad person needs the Lord. 500 needs the Lord. No, the 50 needs the Lord too. All of us do. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep, according to Isaiah 53, 6, have sinned and, come and, and gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Romans 5, 8, but God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, lost ones, Christ died for us. And again, for by grace we have been saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, as any of us should ever boast. It's not about us ever being good enough for God. That's the point. We're all debtors. Simon, you are also a debtor. And what you disdain, my friend, be very careful. Be very careful here, because part of it is that what you, what, it's so while Jesus is explaining this socially audacious, inappropriate display on the part of the woman, he was simultaneously reminding Simon of his own need for forgiveness. And it's almost like he was saying, just because, Simon, just because you're spiritual, just because you're substantially a good and moral man does not mean that you are exempt from needing to receive Christ. He, he, it was just that Jesus saying he is just, you're just unaware of your need. That's what it is. You're just unaware. And that's a very important principle. Lastly, you and I, and I love this, we must never forget how much we, you and me, are continually in need of the Lord's grace and mercy. And we must guard, uh, how can I say it, um, against two things. One is against ever uh, ignoring our own vulnerability because none of us are so strong that we are just got it all together and none of us are so good. We always will need a Savior. And anybody who really is trying to do this realizes this is, this is the grace of the Lord at work in our lives. And it's by the power of his spirit that, that we will come into contact with things in our lives that are too powerful for us. But by God's grace, I can gain a foothold of life and make real progress. But I, never need, I can never forget who I am apart from him. That there's a part of us that must always remember I will always be, and I can always be, a sense um, Someone who is in need of the master's touch myself. To, to ever say, oh, that's just for the 500, the bad. No, 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 no. No, Listen, we must all guard against the spirit of the Simon the Pharisee that is in every one of us too. I'm talking about that judgmental side of us, right? That, that is blind to how much we also need the continual forgiveness of the Lord, right? How can I say it? This believing man will never stop needing the grace of God. None of us will, ever. Ever. And, and, and if I could put it this way, the goodness that makes us loveless 
is no goodness at all. The goodness that makes us loveless is no goodness at all. The fact of the matter is there is room in the kingdom for everybody. And we need to remind ourselves that we are basically just former beggars who found the way to the table of a feast that all are invited to. And our job is to, as wounded healers, always aware of our own flaws and weakness, suspecting our own righteousness, always, in a spirit of humility, helping, pointing, sharing with others the way to that table. That is the great call. That is the great privilege. It's not about perfect people. It's about imperfect people, broken people who, are got, who have been touched by the beauty of the master, who are getting better, and who love others enough to share it. Because if people who love him never talk about him, our world will have a very false understanding of who he is. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your words because they're spirit and they are life. And they're designed to challenge us. And I thank you that you didn't just give us black and whites. You gave us some of those. But a lot of what you gave us were things that called us to wrestle and to think and to, and to challenge ourselves and to really honestly come before you and, and to ask questions in our own heart. And so I'm going to ask you to just, you know, as we close the service out and we're going to sing about your love that is transformative, that's so good that it's got to be shared. Teach us, Lord, to be open to the new things you want to do in us. Teach us to be open to the words and deeds you want us to share with others. Help us to share this good news to the clearly lost and those who are lost and don't know it. Lord, we were all there. We all are still in need. None of us better than the other, but we want to be open to sharing. And we ask for your grace to fill this house in these closing minutes as we share this song. Bless our time of giving as well. May you be honored in all things that we do, even as we close this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.